0: Good afternoon. We have finally come to the last three chapters of Hosea. Last Sunday, we saw how God promised that they will go to exile, but they will be restored. We saw the reason why they went to exile because, firstly, they did not take God's word seriously secondly they worship God falsely they try to worship God but falsely they made an image of God that violated the second commandment and thirdly they outrightly worship foreign gods violated the first commandment and they refused to repent when confronted by the prophets so God had no choice but to send them into exile The purpose of the exile was so that they would repent, because they would not repent otherwise. So it was disciplinary, so that they might repent and might be blessed. They might come out of Egypt, so to say. They will return to Egypt because they violated the Mosaic covenant. They go into exile, return to Egypt, but God will bring them out again, figuratively speaking, from Egypt, from exile. To a better covenant, the new covenant. We saw how the new covenant would deal with the weakness of the Mosaic covenant, would overcome the three problems. God's people who do not take gospel seriously, God's people worship God falsely and worship false God. The new covenant was designed to overcome these problems so that God's people would continue to take gospel seriously and to worship Him right. In other words, they would trust in God and His Word through the transformation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So that was what we looked at last Sunday. The exile was a foregone conclusion, but also the restoration was a foregone conclusion. But in between, the people of God must repent. Therefore, in these last three chapters, The prophet speaks to them to repent. So this sermon is about repentance. But in a way unique to Hosea. Faith and repentance. This is the fundamental teaching of Scripture in terms of how we relate to God. Repent from sin and trust in Him, faith in God. But Hosea, again, will present familiar truth in an unfamiliar way. Now, there is a verse that struck me recently. Let's look at it, Hosea 49. The very last word of Hosea, it says, Who is wise, let him realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Now, the book of Hosea is a compilation of different prophecies given by Hosea through a period of time. Most of the prophets are like that. They preach at different times, and then they compile this preaching into a book. Hosea did the same thing, but he added this like a postscript. The idea is this. This book was compiled for future readers, meant for people who read the book to consider the message, the prophecies they have preached, compiled together. And this is significant because this means the book of Hosea is designed for people who read it later on, including those who are in exile and including us today. So it is speaking to us as we go through the book of Hosea, this verse is casting us. Who is wise? Who is discerning? We look at how God worked in and through the lives of the Israelites. What can we learn from it? In other words, it is the book is speaking to us even today. Now, the next three chapters, assume they are in ex- exile. Remember? The exile was a foregone conclusion. The restoration was also a foregone conclusion. But they have to repent in between. These three chapters are speaking to them in exile, assuming they may exile so that they might repent. We shall see that happening very soon. Now, we are not in exile like them. How can these three chapters be speaking to us in our situation? This verse says, Is meant for all future readers of this book. It applies to all future readers of this book. Now, at the most fundamental level, as we go through Hosea, to see how it speaks to us, we can do one thing. Identify with them. Assuming we are with them, we can listen to what Hosea is saying in the next three chapters, assuming we are in exile with them. Because we will see how God's love is relentless. How God was relentless to send them into exile so that they might be disciplined, they might repent and be blessed. And how God is relentless in persuading them to repent. And how God is relentless in assuring them that they will be restored. So just by identifying with them, assuming that we are with them, and see what God is saying to them, we can sense God's unrelenting love. That is the bottom line. But we are going beyond that because today, during this pandemic, we are in a situation comparable to what they went through. So it will make these three chapters even more relevant to us What was the situation they were in? First of all, they were God's people, but they lived among the Canaanites who worshipped Baal for economic security and prosperity. And they were influenced by the surrounding environment, the surrounding people. In the same way, we as people of God are also living in a situation where we are Influenced by people around us And in the modern situation In a very, very unique way that we should explore Secondly, when they went in exile The idea of exile was to put them in a situation Where they will recognize they have sinned and repent Put them in a situation where they have nowhere else to go Nobody else to turn to, nothing to turn to except God That was what exile meant to them Similarly, today, during this pandemic, we are in a situation where we think about it, we will have to recognise that we have nowhere, nothing to turn to except God. Think about it. There are five areas of our life that has been that have been seriously disrupted. First of all, when the ben- pandemic started, it's been two years already, the disruption to the economy, a lot of hardship. There's disruption to the education, those of us with children. is terrible. My children are grown, so we were spared, but we imagine those of us with children, with that kind of disruption, it is really upsetting. And socially, social life we used to have seriously disrupted. Even for church. Now spiritually, we need not be disrupted. We can at least worship online, hear someone online, fellowship, pray together online. Spiritually, we need not be disrupted. But socially, We could not meet together as before. The social side of our Christian community disrupted. Now this happened to everywhere. All countries affected by the pandemic. But in Malaysia, we have two more areas that were disrupted. When the pandemic is about to begin, collapse of the government. And I think many people, Christian included, are... Severely affected, devastated. At a time when the government, the opposition, the politicians all need to unite and work towards the welfare of the nation, there were all these political disruption, infighting, and the collapse of a government elected by the people. And in tandem with that, people who are known to be corrupt getting off the hook. Disruption to the political process and the legal process. At least five areas of disruption. You know, all these things happening at the same time. Exile means God put His people in a situation where they have no choice but to turn to God. Including repenting from sin. Usually, that happens to individual or individual families in one or two areas of their life. But this pandemic, it happens to everybody in every area of life. So it does feel like an exile as a community. So we are in a similar situation as the Israelites. So let me... Help us understand how living in the modern life is like living, like, is like living in Canaan. Let's look at the next slide. It's a cartoon from Lot. What comes to your mind? How do you feel when you look at this picture? One side is the scenario that God has created. That's what God created. With mountains, trees. There is people living in that setting, the setting that God created. On the other side, it's what it looks like when human beings develop God's creation. I don't know the intention of lot cartoonists enjoying this. What is his message? But for our purpose, try and imagine ourselves in one scenario and the other scenario. Since, how do we feel if we are living in that scenario? And how do we feel we are living in the other scenario? Does it feel different? Then look at the next slide to have us look at it from another angle. Of course there is an exaggeration, uh, our buildings are not exactly like that but the exaggeration is to prove a, show a point. This is the physical environment we live in, we call the modern city. I don't know what comes to your mind when you see these two cartoons, these two pictures, the picture of what the modern city looks like today compared to how God created the world for us to live in. When I saw these two cartoons, I was immediately reminded. Now, this cartoon came out, uh, 2056, immediately reminded of what Lee Kuan Yew once said. He said, a concrete jungle dries up the spirit. That's why he was determined to make Singapore a garden city. So you may understand why there are so many trees in Singapore. It was a deliberate effort to avoid Singapore becoming a concrete jungle. How successful? Up to us to judge. But the idea is a concrete jungle dries up a spirit. Now it's non Christian speaking. Then recently, I came across this poem in the next slide, entitled Poetry Source. Originally written in Chinese, published in Xinjiu in 1996, about the same time Li Kuan Yew made that statement. Even though translated, the meaning is still powerful. By Lai Choi. Trans- a poem source a Poetry source A poor man has neither friend nor kin A museless man has no verse I'd rather have no friend or kin Than have no verse No poetry When I am in the heart of KL City No matter how hard I try I simply cannot compose a sound poem Here a poet capture What it is like to live in the city you see, to write a poem, the poem must feel something. You see, poetry is ex- it's about experience, it's community experience. It's putting experience, feeling into words. Capture a feeling into words. He said, in the heart of Kiel City, I could not compose a sound poem because I feel nothing. The concrete jungle dries up the spirit. Now, this is to help us understand what we are up against. Now, under the new covenant, God has given us a new heart, a new spirit, and the Holy Spirit. Our heart is to be responsive to God's word. The Spirit indwelling us, we are to sense God's presence. And the Spirit makes Christ real to us. God's word and Christ should be real. In our life under the new covenant if we have truly repented our sins and believe in jesus that is our birthright but living in the modern city can weaken that tremendously have you ever wondered why when we have retreat like church retreat we don't hold our church retreat in the heart of chaos city right our last retreat went to somewhere deep in the jungle, right? Why, why, do, you, why do we go all the way into the jungle, into remote places to have our retreat? Why not so convenient? There are hotels nearby. It makes a whole lot of difference what kind of environment we live in. Because the modern city incarnates the idea that there is no God. The human being have no soul. It assumes that human beings are just machines. The idea of materialism, that everything is material. There is no God, there is no spirituality, there is no soul. And our cities are developed with that assumption. The idea that there is no God, there is no spiritual world, human being has no soul, is built into the very shape and nature of our cities. We must consciously resist that. Not only that, philosophical materialism, that everything is just material, there is no God, no soul, no spiritual world. Is also translated to economic materialism Look at the modern lifestyle Our way of life under capitalism Our economic life assumes That there is no spiritual reality Everything is material Not only the environment dries up the soul The very economic life we live dries up the soul, the spirit. It assumes, it embodies the idea that there is no God, there is no spiritual reality, everything is material. So therefore, what we live for is just all material things. There is nothing beyond that. Whether we realise it or not, very often we are caught up in that kind of lifestyle, often called consumerism. You see, what is consumerism? We need to consume in order to live. We need to eat food, consume food. We need to wear clothes, consume clothes. Without consuming things, we cannot live. But our modern lifestyle is not to consume in order to live. We live in order to consume. So you see, the very physical environment, the very way of life, Incarnate the idea that there is no God. Spiritual way is not true, not real. Scripture is not real. So that makes it our heart, with this kind of environment, with this kind of lifestyle, unresponsive to Scripture. Unresponsive to spiritual things. And God doesn't feel real. So we need to realize the challenge we are up against. As we listen to what Jose has to say, on top of this, the pandemic, with all those disruptions in the pandemic, unless we respond to God accordingly, as we shall see, then on top of this environment we live in, this lifestyle we live, with this er- disruption, the things that we are trust in, it's all falling apart and God can be even more distant. Now I paint this picture to help us identify with the Israelites so that we can hear what these three chapters have to say in a more meaningful way because that is the situation we are in. So with that in mind, Let's begin to look at... Oh, before that, there's another slide. Next slide that I forgot about. Walker Percy, a prominent American writer, describing life in this, what I'll call, a spiritual wasteland, living that kind of lifestyle. He asks... Why does man feel so sad in the 20th century? Why does man feel so bad in the very age when, more than in any other age, he has succeeded in satisfying his needs and making over the world for his own use? Why has man entered on an orgy of war, murder, torture and self-destruction, unparalleled in history and in the very century, when he had hoped to see the dawn of universal peace And brotherhood, the 20th century, was such a letdown. The 21st century will not be different. So that's where we are at. So now, we want to listen to what Hosea has to say. Next slide. We will spend most time in uh, Hosea chapter 12, and uh, we will later look at two other passages in Hosea 13 and 14, but mainly Hosea 12, because this is a marvellous mini-sermon by itself. And uh, I, I would like us to hear it straight from this prophecy itself, with minimal comment from me. Whatever command they have to help us understand what it is saying. Hosea twelve one to 4 Ephraim, referring to Israel, feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he looked his, took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. Not carefully. There is interchange in reference to Israel or Ephraim and then to Jacob, their forefather. Look at verse 2. The Lord will punish Jacob according to the ways. Jacob means Israel. You see, Israel is the other name of Jacob. After he was transformed by God, God changed his name from Jacob, which has a connotation of a deceiver, supplanter, to Israel, he who strives with God, after the character changed. And then, suddenly he says, in the womb he strove his brother. In the womb, who in the womb strove the brother? The forefather Jacob, the man, not the nation. So you see, there is this interchange of reference to the nation and then to the man. Hosea here is using the life of Jacob to help them understand their situation, the nation, so that they might repent. So to understand what the text is saying it is very creative for Hosea. It is very beautiful. We need to recall the life of Jacob, this will mainly be my comments. Now, note here, Jose highlights the sin of falsehood or lies or deception. Why, of all the sins in this chapter, Jose highlights deception, falsehood? Because that was the main problem with Jacob. He was a deceiver, he grabbed the heel of his brother. They were struggling in the womb. And uh, the brother came out first with the firstborn and deserved all the rights of the firstborn. And he grabbed the heel when it came out. And that become a symbol of a supplanter that he wants to grab, he wants to catch up with the brother. And uh, the Hebrew word translated here is also used in the context when, uh, remember, jacob deceived his brother esau twice the first time is to ask the brother to sell him his birthright as the firstborn son for a meal a stew he deceived his brother and, and uh, his brother sold him the birthright and the second time was together with the mother the father wanted isaac wanted to bless esau and pass on the blessing of the abraham covenant to esau the son. the but mother together with jacob deceived The father switched, let Jacob disguise Esau and was blessed instead. And he supplanted the brother, took over the brother's blessing. And Esau said, he, the Hebrew word literally, held to my heel twice, supplanted me twice. So so here, when he was in the womb, he was already a supplanter, that's the idea. In the womb, he held his brother, he was a simple other. He was born a deceiver. He was born a cheater. That was his character. But here he says, in his adulthood, he strove with God. What does that mean? What happened? He was wrestling with the angel, remember? Those of us who are familiar with Genesis. That happened after he ran away from home. You see, after he deceived his brother twice, who was part of the problem made an arrangement for Jacob to go to his brothers far away. So he left home, supposedly for a while, but he ended up 20 years there. And as you shall see later on, within the 20 years, God changed him. So after the 20 years, he left his uncle to go home. But he wanted to meet his brother. This shows he had repented. He wanted to reconcile with his brother. So he sent men to tell the brother that, I'm coming to see you. But Esau was excited to see his brother. So he started coming with 400 men. So the messenger informed Jacob, your brother is coming to see you with 400 men. And Jacob panicked. Why? Because the last he remembered of his brother was an angry man who wanted to kill him. So after 20 years, he didn't know whether he had forgiven him or not. So he panicked. He was coming with 400 men. So, so he really was so frightened. He prayed very hard for God to protect him. And that night, the night before he met his brother, he wrestled with the angel. And you remember, he said, it was dawn the angel wanted to leave. He says, I will not let go until you bless me. He wanted the assurance that God has answered his prayer. And God bless him and changed his name from Jacob to Israel, meaning he has his character has changed. So what this verse is saying, he was born a deceptor, he was born a cheater, a supplanter. But in adulthood, when he wrestled with the angel, he was a changed man. He sought God's favor. In other words, all his life until that time, until he was changed, he did not trust in God. He trusted in himself he trusted he used deception if he had trusted in god he would not use deception use injustice to get his way it applies to all of us if we have trust in god we will not use any means that is unjust unfair that violates god's law to get our way so that was his problem he did not trust god he trusted in himself he used deception to get his way but what this text is saying he was born that way but he was a changed man the idea is god can change a man's character i I read before i heard before people say a man's character cannot be changed heard that before it's true a man's character cannot be changed apart from god here God did change Jacob's character. So here is to prepare Israel by highlighting that you are a cheater, a deceiver, just like your forefather. You see, they, what did they do? They used falsehood. They made the covenant in Assyria and brought oil to Egypt. Two hated snakes. On the one hand, it the covenant in Assyria to be submissive. Then on the other hand, bring oil to Egypt to find ways so that Egypt can help them to rebel against Assyria using deception. So here the highlighting of deception is because of the example of Jacob. And the ideal message is you can change from trusting in yourself, trusting in Assyria, trusting a people and use deception to trusting in God. So you see this is a very creative way to prepare the heart so we can see how directly relevant this is to us but for the rest of chapter 12 i will want us just to see the bottom line to imagine ourselves being Israelites and see god's unrelenting love for his people to know god as a god whose love is unrelenting for his people, for their welfare. Then you look at how it applies to our situation, especially given the pandemic we are in right now. Okay, next slide. He met God at battle, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God, return or repent. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God, a merchant in whose hand are false balances. He loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity of sin. Now, what happened at battle? When he was running away, from home from his brother on his way he rested in Bethel there God met him there he was desperate and it was when he was desperate God caught his attention and he was there that he told God if you will bless me protect me in this journey and bring me back safely you shall be my God that's where he begin just beginning to learn to trust in God He was suffering the consequence of his deception, of his wrong. He was running away. And only when he was in trouble that God could catch his attention that he began to learn to trust God. There is no sign that he has repented or he has even recognized he has done wrong. You see, when people have done wrong, usually do not recognize they have done wrong. Even when they suffer consequence of their wrong, they will not... May not still recognize What they have suffering Is the consequence of the wrong They blame other people My suffering now is because of that Not because of his own wrong It's the consequence of his wrong There's no evidence that he recognized that And this is confirmed When God highlights a merchant Whose hands are false balances But of all the laws Why highlight this law? About deception A merchant who uses false balances To deceive people To highlight again Israel's deception, Jacob's deception. And Ephraim said, I'm rich, but you cannot find any wrong in me. So this is the clue in this passage that Jacob and Israel have not yet recognized their sin, their wrong. But God caught their attention. God caught their attention because they are suffering the consequence of the wrong. So when they are in the exile, God said, that's where I'll catch your attention. Just as I caught the attention of your forefather, Jacob. There was a call to repentance. Return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. See, God was speaking to them, softening their heart so that they repent. Hold fast love and justice. Do not use deception anymore. Wait for God. Trust in God instead of yourself. I'd like to highlight this for the purpose of this afternoon because of the focus of Hosea and the text we will highlight one sin but expressed in different ways here expressed through deception the sin of not trusting in God and his word fully we don't normally think of this as a sin failure to trust in God and his word fully is a sin because this violate the first commandment the first commandment you shall have no other gods you trust nothing else except god because he is all-powerful so failure to trust in god fully and his word is a violation of the first commandment and the, and because his people did not trust in god fully they use unjust means they use deception they use un, means that violate other commandments of god to do to get their way so to make it simple we will just focus on this one sin that they are supposed to repent from repent from not trusting in god and his word fully and to make it concrete express through deception the issue is not deception it is not trusting in god deception is just a symptom the real problem is not trusting in god fully Jacob did not repent when he met God at battle. But that was the starting point. God called his attention. Now let's move on to the next section. Next slide. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I spoke to the prophets. I will, it, it, it was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal, they they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of field. Now, here, what we need to focus is this. God promised them the restoration to help them repent. He said, I am the Lord, the God from Egypt, You will go back to Egypt, we saw last week. But you will come out of Egypt again. I will again make you dwell in tents as on the days of the appointed feast. This refers to the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year, during this feast, they are going to live in tents to remember how they came out of Egypt as a celebration of God bringing them out of Egypt. Now, God is saying, you will celebrate this again. In other words, this assumes that you will go into exile, return to Egypt, but you will come out. You will be restored so that you can celebrate it like the first round. You will celebrate the new exodus. God is using this parable, this figure of speech to, to assure them. Yes, you will go to exile, but you will surely come out to help them to repent. And what for us to focus is, is that. I have spoken to prophets. I have used prophets to speak to you. Do you appreciate why the highlight of prophets here? We need to look at the next slide. Jacob fled to the land of Adam. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he gathered sheep. There, by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt. And by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on them and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Now, what happened in the land of Aram? The uncle's place. To understand what Hosea is saying, we need to go back and recall what happened at the uncle's place. Well, we are told, given a clue, he served for a wife. And for a wife, he got a sheep. Now you all know, if you are familiar with the story of Jacob, he arrived at the place of Jacob, uh, Uncle Laban. And the uncle said, I don't want you to work for free. Ask for a wage. How should I pay you? By that time, he had fallen in love with Rachel, the younger daughter of Laban. And he said, I will serve you seven years for a hand that is my wish. so the uncle agreed so he worked seven years for rachel and seven years passed by like a few days because he was deeply in love with rachel so the wedding night came what happened the uncle switched the bride instead of marrying rachel he married the older sister leah he discovered next morning that uncle has deceived him he confronted uncle why do you do that the uncle said uh, it's not our custom to marry the younger of us but uncle said well just seven days from now you know i will give you rachel you for another seven years now why did he not protest because we agreed seven years for rachel now he's worked 14 years for rachel and the implication of the narrative is clear Jacob had no moral standing to debate because he did exactly the same thing to his brother. Remember, switching siblings deceived the father by switching siblings. Here, uncle deceived him by switching this sibling. What is the narrative trying to tell us? God allowed the situation to help Jacob see that he had sinned, he had done wrong to his brother because he now was on the receiving end he did exactly the same thing to his brother now the uncle is doing the same thing to him you see when people do injustice very often they cannot see it's unjust injustice is least obvious from the perspective of the person doing it at the giving end injustice is most obvious when you are the recipient when you are the one receiving injustice, you can see it very clearly so god allowed jacob to experience now on the receiving end what he did to his brother so that he will recognize that he has done wrong and repent the very fact that when he left his uncle he wanted to be reconciled his brother showed that he did repent that means repentance happened in aram so this is a reminder them that in aram jacob did repent because god showed jacob his sin the message is for israel now in exile God had prophesied that you will go to exile because of your sin. Now that exile has happened, just like God showed Jacob his sin, God is showing that you have sinned. It is very difficult for God's people to recognize they have sinned. So God went so far, relentless, to help Jacob and now help them see that they exile. Is a consequence of their sin that they should repent. How is this relevant to us? Remember, exile means God put his people in a situation that they will recognize they have sinned. They have nowhere, no one to turn to except God so that they will repent repent and return to God. In what way is this pandemic a form of exile for God's people? First of all, as I try to help us see, we live in an environment, we live a lifestyle that assumes God does not exist. It is so natural for us to live as if God does not exist, spiritual thing does not matter, scripture is not true. Even though under the new covenant, we have the new spirit, new heart, the Holy Spirit, but the environment we live in, the lifestyle we live make it so difficult for that benefit of the new covenant to become evident unless we recognize what's happening. Now, when the pandemic hit, I believe... We are unsettled in different ways. Different people are unsettled in different ways. As for me, the economic side is not an issue because I've been working from home. I could still continue to work, preach teaching online, so my work not disrupted at all. Suddenly postponed initially. That gave me time to write my book. So the economic side, I was bad. The education side, My children are all grown, so I was also spared. The social side, I am an introvert, a loner, so it didn't really matter much. So I was spared, unlike most people. But there are two things that really troubled me. The political collapse and the legal collapse. That troubled me. It was that that caused me to recognize that my trust in God incomplete, inadequate. Nobody's trust in God is complete, adequate. God reveals to us differently at different times. So, this afternoon, what we are hearing here applies to all of us across the board. Some of us are very new in the faith we have just learned to trust in God and His word some of us are further down the line but no matter where we are on the spectrum what we are going to hear this afternoon is applicable in one way or another because there is never a point where we have arrived for me it was this aspect of the pandemic the political and legal collapse that troubled me and helped me realise that my trust in God and this word need to deepen. It was in light of this and the book of Hosea that I begin to for the first time confess that when I have not fully trusted God in His Word, that is sin. I never confess it as sin. If you had asked me, you know, if you fail to trust God and His word in this situation, is that sin? I think about it. I would say it's sin because that is violation of the first commandment. But I never, never consciously admit it is sin because I see in my life. There are areas where I have not fully trusted God in this word. Certain areas I have no problem trusting God in this word. There are certain areas I have not. And I was not prepared to recognize it. That, that is sin. I need to repent. So you see, that is how the pandemic caused me to recognize sin that I never recognized before and confess and repent. So I don't know how the pandemic affected each of us. It will be different. Mine is quite different from many people but what the passage we have just looked at basically can be boiled down to this God put his people in a situation where they can see that they have sinned and they need to repent now when i was troubled and i realized being troubled like this is not being very Christian. You see, Paul in Philippians 4 says, Rejoice, and I say rejoice always. Rejoice always. No matter what the circumstance. When Paul said that, he was under house arrest in Rome. in Philipp- And he wrote Philippians. He might not live through that imprisonment. And yet he said, rejoice. And I say, rejoice always. And he said, be anxious of nothing in everything, give thanks to God no matter what the circumstance. Give thanks to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be with you. But he did say, dwell on the things that is true, that is honorable, and so on. And he also said, in thanking the Philippian Christian for the gift, the money that they offered him, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. So from that passage, I have learned that the standard for Christian experience is this. No matter what circumstance, pandemic or no pandemic, political collapse or no, rejoice. No matter what the circumstances, give thanks, dwell on God's word, and the peace of God shall be with you. And no matter what circumstance, be content. And when I saw the political collapse and the legal collapse, that people known to be corrupt is getting off the hook, I lost all these things. And I realized that is being unchristian. So who do I turn to? God. God. So that was exile for me. That was how God helped me see and recognize an area of my life that I need to confess and repent. It is through this experience, this kind of experience, that we get to know God better, deeper. So I leave it to us to think back how the pandemic has impacted us how in what way we have not trusted in God and his word fully that we are still trusting in the things that people in the world are trusting in and this thing collapse so that we might recognize like the Israelites where we have sinned and turn back to God As I said, it affects us across the board because none of us is perfect in our knowledge of God, in our trust in God. God put us through different things at different times. But the bottom line is, as Christians, we have a repentant heart. Now let's move on to the next two texts quickly to nail down what we have just learned from Hosea chapter 12. Next slide. This is Hosea thirteen. Okay, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up; his sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth came to for him, but he is an unwise son. But at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? Oh, show, sure, where is your thing? Compassion, or rather, relenting is hidden from my eyes. Here, God, building on what He has just said through Hosea to them that this whole exile is to have you see your sin, that you might repent. Give, him, give them another round of assurance. This is the first part of Hosea 13 12. Using the experience of childbirth you see the pangs of childbirth should lead to birth right so what happened is the pangs of childbirth here refers to their suffering before the exile you see god will warn them through other means of suffering before the exile the exile is always a last resort so they are birth pangs and the idea is that they will repent But, he says, this birth pang did not lead to birth, did not lead to repentance, because Ephraim was unwise, did not show up at the opening of the womb. And this can result in death. In the ancient world, there is no Caesarean surgery. So when this happens, very often it results in death. So they die, exile, that is. But God said, I will ransom them from show, from death. Redeem them. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, show, where are your sting? relenting that means god said i will not change my mind about this yes you go to exile but you will redeem to promise them now this text has a more powerful message for us than it was for them for them it was assuring them that you failed to repent that's why in the exile now therefore repent i will redeem you i will not change my mind i will undo death here is figurative Their death is exile they come back to life is the restoration. He will undo death. But Paul quoted this in First Corinthians. Next slide. Paul quoted this text in First Corinthians chapter 15. It says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some scholars will say, Paul quote Jose out of context because Jose is not talking about literal, physical death. And undoing physical death Is figurative Did Paul quote it out context But interestingly Paul did not just quote Isaiah, uh, Hosea uh, Just now 13 He also quoted Isaiah 25 verse 8 Death is swallowed up in victory Before he quoted Hosea Oh death, where is your victory Isaiah 25 verse 8 In that context is talking about physical death being swallowed up one day God will destroy death in other words immortality God's people will experience immortality death will be undone death will die This is God's promise Paul quoted this as a promise for believers now look at the context first Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection he gave evidence of resurrection he said Christ raised from the dead he appeared to more than 500 at one time And then he say, if Christ is not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. It is is in that context that Paul quote this, this to give us the assurance that one day we will be immortal. In fact, the verse right after this, which I did not quote here, is about standing firm. Therefore, continue to do the work of God, because know for sure that your work is not in vain, based on this promise. That one day we will be immortal, we will be resurrected with Christ. Now, how does this fit into the flow of what I've been sharing here? If we fully trust in God and His Word, our hope will not be in this world. We will look forward to the hope in Jesus Christ that Paul is talking about. Just like Christ's resurrection, we shall be resurrected. We are here to do God's work. Paul said it will not be in vain because of this future hopes that we have and this is very relevant during this time if our hope in this world this pandemic will be a very stressful time and we are never sure even if this pandemic is over there would not be another pandemic or there will not be another crisis Recently, my wife and I have been praying for our children and grandchildren because for us, we are in our 60s. Not much time left. Our future is in the past. But for our children and grandchildren, full life ahead. And the world is so unstable. You know, this is a recent development. When when we were teenagers, you know, life was more stable. Not, not, Not like this one crisis after another one economic crisis one financial crisis now you know medical crisis this is a pandemic before this we have SARS we have other minor minor more regional you know epidemic but this world has become such that if our hopes are in this world We worry not only for ourselves, but for our children. In this way, we're in exile. God is showing us that we cannot, we cannot put our hopes in this world. So this text here, quoted by Paul, is more meaningful to us even than the Israelites concerning their restoration. By now, They were probably prepared to repent. So, how do they repent? We will turn to our final text in Hosea 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, except what is good. And we will pay with bulls and vows of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again seek our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. And God said, I will heal you and so on. Now here we have what can be considered a sinner's prayer. Here, Hosea actually tell them exactly how to pray for repentance. How to express the repentance. So this gives us the basis for us when we share Christ with someone to help a person become a Christian. We tell them, pray a prayer, right? So there is a basis for that. Here there is a prayer. Now look, look at the prayer. It's not just in general, take away iniquity in general. But there is a specific confession that they should repent from. A Syria cannot save us. We will not mount. War Horses, we will never again say our God. They were confessing very specifically their sins. So when we come to Christ, to receive Christ, to say the sinner's prayer, it's not just God forgive me of my sin. There need to be a conscious confession and repentance of our sins. In other words, repentance is the change of mind concerning God and sin to recognize we have sinned that we our intention is not to sin anymore our intention is is obey God that is repentance but from this text it shows the sinner's prayer the repentance is specific turn away from our past life that has been sinful there need to be a change in direction of our life It's not just, God, I have sinned, forgive me. Thank you for Jesus Christ. There is this conscious, specific acknowledgement of what we have sinned in our life. That implies a change in direction of our life. Now, I would add that usually this does not happen suddenly but gradually. In many cases, but not all cases, when a person pray the sinner prayer that is only the first step first step towards true repentance and faith in god first step because after the sinner's prayer we assume the person will continue to hear god's word that's where the person who have taken the first step just like jacob the first step in acknowledging god at battle he truly repented late on when he understood more at Uncle's place. So I generally do not assume that when someone pray a sinner's prayer, he has fully understood what is involved. Therefore, it is important for the Word of God, the Gospel, to be continually preached for people to hear. Therefore, it is a spectrum. Our growth in faith in God and His Word is a process. But we have to recognize the bottom line is that when we become a christian we put our faith our trust in god and his word and that means what his word says his word says christ died on the cross for our sins and we trust in that because that is what god says and we trust in god and his word therefore As the conclusion to this series of studies in the book of Hosea, as we go through this journey, in the context of this pandemic, it is time for us to come before God and ask ourselves, what is my relationship with God and his word at this point in time? No matter where is our journey, whether we have just come to know Christ, we have just learned to put our faith in Christ and His Word, or we are further down the road, we have never arrived until Christ come and see Him face to face. There is always room for us to grow in repentance and sin. But remember this, that we are saved by grace and not by works. So, For many years when i did not know that my failure to trust in god and his word in certain areas of my life that is sin i was living in sin i didn't realize that until recently but i'm saved because i'm saved by grace not by works even though i didn't realize i did not confess that sin but i was saved that is the beauty of the gospel but as we grow and God shows us where we have sinned, especially through this pandemic, and repent and turn to Him, we know Him more as we talk about you know, Hosea. The more we confess our sin, the more we obey His commandments, the more we know Him, the deeper our walk with Him, the more intimate He is to us. So I hope no matter who we are, where we are in our pilgrimage, that what we have heard has something to speak to us. Let us pray. Let us bow just for a few moments and express to God what is in our heart, how these three chapters of Hosea have spoken to us Our Father, again, we thank you for your word as we come to this conclusion through the book of Hosea, this journey through this word that we have taken, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us and have us understand where we are, in what way we can grow in knowing you, in what way we can grow in believing in you, in what way we can grow in trusting in you and not in the circumstances we are in. As commanded by Paul, we want to give thanks for the adverse circumstances you have placed us these past two years. We give thanks because through these circumstances you reveal to us in what way we can grow, we can know you more, that we can have a deeper and more intimate walk with you. So we give you thanks by faith. And even when we cannot see how these circumstances is going to work out for the good of your people, we give you thanks because we know you are in sovereign control. We know you have a good purpose. So we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.